When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Welcome back to the what what podcast is this again? We're doing a pod. Uh, are we doing a podcast? Are we doing a podcast? I've forgotten. Who are you? Oh wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Uh, what's this? What what football team do you support, Alex? I can't remember. What's football? Where am I? What is reality? Is this a simulation? Are we in a simulation where people forget to draw fucking lines on an offside? Welcome back to the Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very, very good friend, Bradley Adams. I feel like you're going to be more angry than me today, mate. Can't get me angry, mate. Do you know why? Because you're going to the City game. (laughs) Going to the fucking City game, boys. (laughs) Hey! Saturday afternoon, absolutely raging after that game. My uh, old acting teacher messages me and says, free Saturday night. Nope, free Wednesday night. Didn't ask about Saturday night. That would be strange. He said, free Wednesday night. And I went, tell me you've got a ticket. And he just put a little thumbs up. And that sorted me right out. They got me through my evening until probably 10 p.m. When news comes out that Lee Mason forgot, forgot to draw... The offside lines on the uh, Brentford goal VAR decision, whatever you want to call it. I'm too angry to speak. I'm absolutely furious. How, how has that been allowed to happen? How? I, I, t- I texted this in the group chat that we're, we're now in. There's a there's a different not group chat with our newest added member, dear George. Oh, yeah. Should say, should say we would normally have George on the podcast, but uh, he has had some uh, home issues plumbing issues i think so he can't so cannot cannot make it um but i put it in i i just i've been watching a, a little bit of sunderland here and there when they've been televised this season it's my dad's team for anyone who's not been around to hear that story and the referee and i i look at that and i've looked at the games and the refereeing in the championship and the leagues below is is like honking like <laughs> like genuinely the drop-off between even, like, Lee Mason and championship referees is, like, it is palpable. Like, re- championship referees are dog shite a lot of the time. And I think therein lies the problem. We all want to get rid of these. All of them are from Manchester. They're, they've All of their hairlines have receded. Some of them have braved the shave and some of them haven't, you know, type of Donnies who are still running football matches. We want we want them gone, but the problem becomes who do we replace them with? There is no one. You look around, and there is currently nobody that like. And you, uh, somebody on Twitter made a good point that we could start buying in referees from other countries and just paying to have the best of the best. And I, I don't think that's a bad idea, but I think this is where the whole systemic problem has come from: is that in your job, if you get, and I know this because I've done it. In your job, if you get too comfortable, you become very shit at your job very, very quickly because you stop caring. 
and these there's no incentive for them to care because when they're demoted they're demoted for a week none of them have ever been banned from the game completely none of them have ever been fired and there's no one else coming to take their place and even if you're really shit at your job if you're still the top level of that and no one can replace what you're doing other than people from you know foreign countries that aren't going to be imported by the governing body because there's an influx of having British referees. That, that's part of the point, I think, of the fucking PGMOL. Therein lies the problem. They're comfortable. They're lazy. They don't care because they know that nobody is coming to take their place. So what the clubs need to do is every single Premier League club and every championship club can afford it, should pour millions of pounds into referee training programs and basically build our own referees and then go to the FA and go to PGMOL, kind of like a Super League situation and say, hey, you either sort your shit out or in three years, we will refuse to have you referee our games. We'll use our own referees. We'll still be part of your product, but you will have no input in the way that the game is run because what the clubs need to wake up and realise and what the what the FA need to wake up and realise is the, the clubs have the power here. If all 20 Premier League clubs and all, if, if the whole, I think it's 72 in the whole football pyramid, if all 72 clubs decided tomorrow to break away from the FA and create their own football leagues and mirror everything over, they can do what they want. They're all private limited companies. And do you not think that Sky, BT, any of the broadcasters are going to follow them? Of course they are. The FA is in such a weak position. I do not know how the clubs haven't realised it yet. We need to start strong arming them into more change, into more decisions, into more accountability, into harsher punishments, because that is the only way this is going to change. Actually do something about it. Sign a, a charter with all 20 Premier League clubs saying we demand these changes, including more, more culpability and accountability. We're going to fund our own refereeing programs. And if you haven't done enough in the three years or however many years it takes us to train our own referees, we'll have our own referees. Actually do something about it. And this is the thing. I'm bored of, of our managers and I'm bored of, of us complaining about it. And then the clubs doing fuck all about it. Because it gets on my nerves. Like, if this is a problem, which it is, those two drop points could cost Arsenal the title at the end of the season. And this has been the story for 15 years. Like, referees have been shit for as long as I can remember football, right? Actually do something about it. It's, it's like it, people that moan about shit decisions for their club and then are like, they're happy about shit decisions for other, other teams. Because it's 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 an oxymoron. We don't get the right to complain about it and then not do anything about it. The Premier League clubs need to pull their fingers out of their asses and actually grow a backbone and tell the FA to do something about it because it's getting boring. Rant over. <laughs> Mate, I think you're spot on about a lot of stuff. The only thing I'd come back on is is uh, I think the the Premier League's position is is tricky because obviously we have to have a license to be in in the uk and i think you know the government's the government backs the fa and and that will be a very tricky situation to be in however we do have more power we <laughs> the, the premier league clubs have a lot more power than they're than they're showing and i think any kind of specific campaign um should Just look be, at the amount it brings into the uk economy 
Look at the yeah, tax exactly. revenue you're bringing to the UK economy. If they went, if the if the Premier League clubs went to the government and say we're we're absolutely disgusted at the way that our product and our sport is being handled, we're either going to break away and we'll take the Premier League and we'll host it in the fucking US, which they wouldn't want which obviously we wouldn't want as fans. It's all bluffing and it's all threats. If you don't do something about it, you can't tell me that one of the biggest generators of tax revenue in this country isn't going to be able to strong arm the government into a stance that's more favourable. There's definitely it, some it, power. It, yeah. it, something, no, something can be done. There's an avenue, for sure, for sure. You know, I, I don't know whether like creating their own officiating is going to work. But again, all of these things are sort of, they're question marks and they're, and they're the conversations to be had and ultimately as you say the power is with the Premier League clubs other possible solutions well I mean all of these things have to be explored obviously paying referees more diversifying um, I, I'm always a massive advocate of taking taking power away from the on-field referees because I'm thinking we cannot referee in the same way that we did in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and going backwards we can't and give these what this one person on the pitch or I appreciate in this situation it's the video referee but that video video referee should have five six seven people around him you know not just one assistant or whatever it is it, we should have you know checks in real time there should be serious consequences for these things for, for for making mistakes but as you say there's no there's no system around them to to give them that um it, yeah there's, there's there's so so many possible avenues to go down and i suppose the the stress of it is the fact that there is no action on it all we get is an apology and uh yet we'll do better and lee mason might not referee this weekend and then he'll be back and he'll do it again you know it's, he already did it this season man united he did it last was- season he did it. He did it last season. I think Do you he's remember already, the. Um... I think he's already done it this season as well. Again, for Crystal Palace and Newcastle as well. He's he he yeah, continually he did it makes last mistakes. season with Brighton versus West Brom with the quick free kick. And there's a bit. There's a clip from Jeff Stelling that 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 whipped around because he, it was a question of if he'd blown his whistle or not. And Jeff Stelling was saying, "How does he not know if he blew his whistle?" Yeah. Like this is this is a man who is has been so incapably just destitute at his job for over twelve months, and we're still employing him. But this this is the thing. It's like then I go, well, then it's not an individual issue. It's a systemic issue. And as you say, it's like we don't yeah. have the top quality people to replace him. We don't have the right people around him to 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 train him better. All all these sorts of things. Like you know, Lee Mason. I'm sure people will come for Lee Mason, and like perhaps he deserves it. I don't think anyone deserves abuse for being bad at their job. But like also, no. you're in the position that you're in. I'm not going to go on him individually, but I am going to say that the the inaction is the issue. That the fact that all we will get is all Bournemouth got for potentially changing the course of their their future forever ever is ah oh, shit yeah sorry yep. sorry lads it's like no we've got to we replay the game we've got to we've, we've got to like ensure this never happens again imagine if in on, on any other level on any other sport or or in any other walk of life if there was an issue that repeatedly happened in a workplace let's say like let's just make it fucking you know stupid at, at, just for this example's sake let's say like the milk was constantly going stale. What do you do with your milk? You don't put it back in the fridge or it just gone stale. Um, uh, but let's say like, you know. Or, or do you know what? A, a bit more a bit more of a, a job, a job appropriate. Let's say they never ordered enough like printer ink. All right, okay. Let's go with that. Whatever it is, whatever the example is, 
printer ink. There we go. We'll go with that. If printer ink wasn't being ordered, no matter how small the issue is, eventually at some point, if it was just never, ever addressed. And every time it was just, yeah, we just haven't got enough. It's like, hang on, can, can I speak to someone? Who is meant to be responsible for this? Who's meant to be in charge of this? Who's the person who's meant to be taking action on this? And it's like, there's there's a sort of a thing sometimes that happens with, with incidents where people go, oh, it's just one thing. It's it's one it's one issue. It doesn't really matter. Okay, so it's it's a small issue. It's 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 one issue. It's 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 not a big deal. If it's not a big deal, then it should be easily addressed. There's no problem. Oh, it's a really oh, it's just a small thing. Who who cares about it? No, it's not because these things could c- repeat consistently, consistently, consistently. The printer ink is not there week after week after week after week. So maybe once you go, all right, fine. But after years of it, you're going okay. There's a, there's a clear systemic issue here that it's you know that that, that is not being addressed. And, and it's happening league-wide. Brighton's goal disallowed because they chose the wrong defender to draw the lines from. Um, the whole issue that I think... Yeah, it's not um, just an Arsenal issue. It's is not just an Arsenal quite, issue. Is, is quite interesting, as in Hugh <laughs> W-H-I-T-E, of the sending off of Mario Lamina. Him being the third player that ran over to have a chat with the referee about a possible foul, but being the one that's given a yellow card and sent off with a referee who was throwing out yellow cards for fun in that game. It's it's not localised. It's it's a cancer and it's metastasized everywhere. No, like, there's a reason that every single game, there's a tweet that goes up going like, Fucking Robert Jones is is refereeing or fucking Mark Clattenberg is refereeing the Arsenal's game today and there's always tweets underneath it going, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. And it's because they're all useless. I'd understand if it was one bad apple, but you just didn't quite have the resource to replace yet. But it happens every week and it happens to multiple different teams on multiple different occasions every week to the point where it is so, so detrimentally impacting the product that it will not, I hope it's not long before clubs really start to kick up a stink. And, you know, as a joke, I've almost harked back to that Bournemouth moment that you have about a million times. But that's so true, the fact that the one decision, and they're back in the Premier League now, so whatever, fine. It obviously didn't have that much of an impact. But no, being in the Premier League is like £150 million a season that a club extra generates in like TV revenue and shit like that. Bournemouth, with a stadium size that they have and with the size of club that they are getting relegated, that could have been wholly catastrophic to the next 50 years of that football club on a decision that should not have stood. You should not be able to affect the the business of Bournemouth that much as one just random middle-aged fucking white man and here's the problem as well. We we talk about the big issues. We talk about the big calls, right? And I think we should move on because we're like 15 minutes into this issue. But how many goals have been scored and how many, how much ground has been gained and 10 yards here and 10 yards there up the pitch by a wrong throw-in decision? I watched it today in the, in the Leeds United game where Bamford, I think it is, presses in and Malassia makes a tackle. And the ball comes off Bamford and then Malassia. And that should be a throw-in in United's final third for Leeds. But it's given the other way. And that automatically changes the tilt of the game. And it's things like that that I go, with technology that we have nowadays, how are we 
how are we still going to the dodgy eyesight of 55-year-old Darren running up and down the pitch that he's not fit enough to run up and down? How is that the, the answer? And that's the problem. We are, ref like you say, we are refereeing these games like we're in the 80s. The technology is there. Bring it in. In Syria, there's automatic offsides. Bring it in now. In We can have automatic... Um, and it happened in the, the City game. Bernardo Silva is dribbling the touchline with the ball. The ball does not go out, but it's given as a throw-in. Like, it's so easy. We have the technology. Make it automatic. Take it out of people's hands because they have proved they're not good enough to, to handle that responsibility. Yeah, that's that's my argument as well. Oh, well, I hope that was in any way therapeutic. <laughs> Done nearly 20 minutes of fucking ratting back for me. Reps. I didn't realise no, how I'm, angry I'm, I was. Yeah, mate, it's it, it it gets to a point where you just think, oh, yeah, when's it going to change? But let's let's move on from that. Let's get to the game. Um, my word of the game is casual. I felt as though there was a sort of... There was no real issues in our first and second phase. I felt we were getting out fine. I thought we were playing through Brentford's press pretty well. I felt as though Partey had a, a terrific game, an unbelievable game. I just felt when we got to the final third, there was a real lack of energy, a lack of quality, a lack of clarity on what we were trying to do. There was a sort of predictability to us. And it just felt a lot of the game, we were unable to manipulate the line. There's a, there's a couple of clips going around of Arteta, and one of them is brilliant, about how when the ball comes back from a block, so let's say the ball comes out to your your number your, your number six, your nominal number six, when the ball comes out, and, and then the team uh, who are in the block slightly shift up. What you need is your wide players to run in behind so you can try and get a ball over the top as one possible way of manipulating the line, one possible way of getting in. It felt like all of the time that we spend, we should be spending, I think, on the training ground, trying to break down low blocks. And, you know, obviously credit to Brentford, but all of that time we spend working on that isn't translating onto the pitch. And we had so much time in their final third, so much time playing the ball around, and it just felt as though there was a lack of ideas. I think we've had something like, um, there's a stat somewhere, uh, where, where are we? Arsenal, oh, here we are. Arsenal fired in 10 shots from outside the box yesterday against Brentford. The only game this season where they attempted more from long range was Spurs uh, at home back in October. And there was another one where, hang on, where are we? Um, oh, where's it gone? There was another stat that basically Arsenal have like, like had the least amount of accurate long shots in the league, but I can't find the stat now. Um, there's just this sort of lack of energy in the final third and, and, I, and I don't quite know how to fix it and obviously there's there's all sorts of um, calls for Kieran Tierney and, and Leandro Trossard to come on our left hand side I, I do think our left hand side has been affected by not having Jesus I think today was one of the first days where I felt Jesus was was a real miss in terms of his chaos would have been useful those triangles and rotations on the left hand side but I think it might go bigger than that um, yeah your thoughts on that um, yeah uh, yesterday was a weird one. Um, it felt like we had a hangover from the from the Everton game. It fe it felt like there was just in that fight. It felt <sighs> my word of the game is is unambitious because that's how I felt we played. I felt that there wasn't enough. 
one thing that, that we talk about with City is that they play the ball into dangerous areas and trust the other players to keep the ball. And it felt like we just were not doing that enough. We weren't trying incision, in, incisive passes. We weren't so, uh, just actually getting it into dangerous places without having to have a player dribble it in there. It felt very placid and and languid so much of the time. And like you say, it felt like a game that, that needed changes. And that, that's why I kind of landed on unambitious as well, because I, th I think that it was unambitious and safe from Arteta to only use um, two substitutes, only one of which came before the 80th minute. Like we're given five subs, use them, make a change. Xhaka was, and I don't mean this because I think he's a useless player, but I think he was useless in that game yesterday. I don't think he found space. I don't think he was getting in between the lines or combining well. Um, I, I don't think his final ball was particularly good. He, like He's not the most agile in tight spaces. So make a change. Do something differently. Stick Zinchenko in there. Put Tierney at left back. Just do something. Put, put Vieira in there at half time. And it really, really just struck me as... Uh, we us kind of being the again and it's always been the same with Arsenal that we're the authors of our own demise and that we don't do these things enough we don't make changes early enough and a lot of the time we've been lucky at some points this season but also very very good in that we've taken the initiative and that hasn't had an effect I think yesterday shows that sometimes when you don't make enough changes, especially when it felt like the system was the thing that was going wrong rather than the players missing the opportunities, you don't come away with the result. And obviously we should have won. The goal's offside that they score, but it just felt like more changes were there to be made to keep us in the ascendancy, especially once we'd scored and we didn't make them and we fell back on the on the back foot and, and they equalised. And it's no more than Brentford deserved. I also think that this is a bit of an indication that not giving certain players minutes and expecting them to come on and play hero ball in the last nine minutes is stupid. How many minutes has Fabio Vieira had since coming back from the World Cup of professional football, of playing football, playing in games? He played the City game and he played a couple of other cup games. He's played maybe 180 minutes of football, 210 minutes of football out of a, a couple of thousand. Like, you can't expect... It's all well and good having a bench that's really, really strong, um, which we I think we have in spits and spats. You have to give those players minutes so that when you need to call on them, when it's 1-1 or, God forbid, we're 1-0 down and we need moments of magic from these players, they need to be able to produce those by not coming in completely out of the cold. And I think that's been a bit of mismanagement by, by us this season and why I think... Getting the Europa League back will be good for players like Vieira, for players like Nelson, for players like, you know, um, Kivior and Tierney and Tommy Asu slash White, whoever plays in it, because they will be able to get these minutes under their belt. Yeah, I think there's a stat go around that like something like seven of our players have played every single Premier League minute or so, it's something along those lines. And, and you just think there's got to be some a bit more rotation that we could do. I felt I felt the same, mate, and I I actually felt in the first sort of period of the game, 
a lot of the lessons from Everton looked like they had been learnt. I felt like we were trying to break the lines a bit more. I felt like we were moving the ball quicker. I felt like there was more of a there was more of a purpose. But then we just got back into this slow rotational thing, and that's the point when when I agree that we just needed to change something. And and okay, personnel is a very is a very obvious thing to change. It's a very like, well, it's not working, bring on another player. I don't always agree with that. I don't always think that's the right thing to do. I think sometimes it's it's just about giving the players that you have on the pitch time. I probably would have changed the personnel in this game, but not changing anything is probably, as you say, maybe it's unambitious or 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 just just not quite right. And you know, there's all sorts of questions of okay, did you know, are we worried about the Wednesday night game, which I'm going to, by the way, I'm not not sure if I mentioned. Um, are we worried about the game on Wednesday? Are we worried about you know other things? Are you going to that game, mate? You're a dick. Fuck off. Right. Um, but yeah, I just. I just felt as though oh, there was a lot. I, of... I, I, I need to be back in the M's. I need to be back in the carpet. <laughs> it was a slightly predictable game. I felt. I just felt it was. You know, the long balls from Brentford. Tony made light work of Saliba and Gabriel, frankly. But we sort of knew that. I also feel the chances that they did create um, were good chances. I think I've got the the XG here somewhere. Scott Willis has that as uh, 1.4 expected goals on our part, to two expected goals on their part. Uh, but we had most of the attacking pressure throughout the game um, and most of the field tilt. And we had, I think we had more shots and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, 23 shots to their nine. I think there's always going to be a moment against Brentford where you give up chances because they are very, very good at getting that ball long. And Tony... I'm beaten and, in 10. There's a reason. Yeah, and Tony, Tony and, and Mbermo are just telepathic I mean there was one where Mbermo cuts it back for Tony and he probably should score it's like how the fuck can they, does he know can they there? ban him already can they yeah can <laughs> they ban him already can they have not banned him before this game also how ridiculous is the fact that they're talk- like he's just fucking having a little cheeky acker at the weekend just calm down we've all done I mean- it Hang on, no, Premier League footballers can't be fucking betting on <laughs> just having a cheeky hacker. <laughs> um, cheeky 20-fold hacker. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there, there was. I, I, I always felt that this was going to be the... the just. A, I, I felt as though this game was going to be exactly how it played out, really, but I thought we'd probably get some more chances. Yeah. Brentford were always going to have a couple of chances with 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 Tony and Burmo, and I felt as though we were going to have a lot of the ball, which we did, and a lot of attacking pressure, which we did, but create some more chances, which which we didn't. You know, Partey was like an absolute magnet. You know, Brentford just couldn't get out. Um, getting more specific on the issues as well, I I would say that lack of subtlety from Xhaka on our left hand side is starting to to weigh us down a little bit, I feel. I just feel as though there's a... And perhaps this is why Arteta took him off. Um, balls get fizzed into him. And okay, you know, we've got an issue on our left-hand side at the moment. I think with Nketiah not sort of vacating that space as much. And I think it limits Xhaka's runs into the box and it limits that space that he's available to do. So he's slightly pushed further back. I also don't think Xhaka's helped by the fact that Zinchenko appears to be trying to win the Premier League on his own. Um, and he's often clogging his spaces, shooting from fifty yards for no reason. But I do think I've said this. I've said this on the podcast before. I think when Thomas Partey was slapping them from like sixty yards, at what point does the manager not send a message onto the pitch saying, "Stop wasting our possession 
by Eddie had a moment where he did the same thing. Stop wasting possession with low, like low XG chances. What's the point? Okay, maybe one in a hundred goes in. You're not going to take a hundred of them in the in the game. Just stop it. Just don't be an idiot. Yeah, no, there's certainly an issue. But I, I think on Xhaka, like, there's just a lack of subtlety to his game between the lines, and he's he's just a little bit. He's not particularly mm. spontaneous. He's not got rigid quick feet he's a bit rigid he feels a bit just sort of you know reliable and no problem and he's fine every game he is fine i i, I don't worry about Shaka anymore these days but i just think there's got to be something more we can get is it a more of an attacking threat is it a bit more subtlety is it that just that final pass that ball in behind and fabio vieira as you say you know if he's getting nine minutes here and, one, and eight minutes there it's what can he do yeah i think that's probably why we've been linked to declan rice because i think that Everything that Xhaka has physically, Declan Rice has more. Um, passing range, I don't think there's... And technically, I don't think there's much between them. But Declan's younger. He's a bit more agile. He's a bit more capable. And I think that... I think this game really shows how somebody like Jesus elevated the qualities of Xhaka and elevated the, the qualities of this team and allowed them to do different things and allow this system to function a bit better that with Enketia we we don't get. And that's fine because Enketia is great at his own things. And when we're playing teams that want to play football against us, uh, Enketia is great. Like he's, he's great. But today we played a team that very much wanted to sit in that block when we had the ball and got into that block very, very quickly. And at that point, Enketia wasn't, wasn't what was needed. Um, because again, a lot of the chances we were getting with from crosses and he's good in the air for his size, but somebody four inches taller, who's also good in the air would have been more useful yesterday. And I think that that's a profile that we've often said on this, that we massively miss. We have no height in that front line at the moment. You know, all of them are under five foot 10. Something I wrote. That's was I just feel like we missed I, th- I think they were under a, 5 foot 10 possibly yeah I think it might be right um or tall 5 foot 10s um yeah I just I felt as though I wrote down we miss a dad I think Inketia in that sort of reach to prove himself doesn't have that kind of calmness and composure to his game where he can just go this is the action here's what I'm going to do I'm going to pin the center back I'm going to roll you and I'm going to get my shot away and that's it and that's what I'm going to do he feels like he's trying to do everything um, in an attempt to, to prove himself at times and he ends up doing nothing. So I just felt as though, yeah, whether it's a physical presence or whether it's whatever, it's just someone who knows exactly who they are as a footballer. And look, Eddie Nketiah is a fantastic footballer, but he's also 23. We, we can't expect him to be an established guy who knows exactly what he's yeah. doing. You know, even even a, a vague horse who just goes, here's what I do. I pin the centre back, I knock it off for someone else. That's someone who who is very, very clear. It feels like he's trying to fulfill everything that Jesus can do, but it just can't quite get there. And I just felt like we needed someone, you know, a 28, 29-year-old who's established themselves to go, no, this is what I do, and get their chances for the day. Um, I said I said this on the Insta reaction. I think that's... It, yeah. it felt like Thomas Partey was in a music video from the 90s because I, I said this yesterday. You know, like old music videos where they obviously would, in filming it, they'd speed up the music 
So then when you slow it down, everyone's bodies are going slower, but the, the singing is at the same speed. That's what Partey's like to me. Yeah. It's like all his actions or are Or like perfect... in a movie. Yeah, yeah. All, in all a movie, his... two lovers lock eyes and yeah. they keep moving at normal pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everyone around them is like just oozing. <laughs> He's got this sort of oozy texture to him. But his actions are always yeah. so punchy. Um, and that's oh, what... he's an absolute baller, mate. That's what he can do. Like he's just incredible, and and he was he was fantastic yesterday. But yeah, we just missed that up front. And you know, as I say, there was there was especially in that first sort of twenty minutes, Martinelli was coming more central. Felt we were breaking the lines a bit more. Felt as though you know Brentford were in a, their two rather than a, a four five one. And I felt oh, we were getting through the lines a bit quicker. But then it just all sort of went a bit horizontal, and yeah, it just it frustrated me. The only Actually, I want to say as well, Ramsdale was probably the only person who had that sort of urgentness that I felt we needed. Um, credit to him because I thought he had a good game. Um, and the only real dynamic that I felt was consistently on, as I said in the interaction as well, was was Ben White at the at the far post with that lofted ball. But again, who's who's it to? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it was yeah. It was tough. That's that's something we have to address in the summer is getting some height in that front line. Find a right winger who is six foot and good in the air and that's all they're good for because it's a weapon in itself and a, and a weapon that we do sorely miss like having somebody who can float into that central zone or even if it's another striker and have a have three strikers have Jesus who can have Jesus who can cover the right but plays through the middle have Enketia and instead of buying a right winger because Jesus can cover up right wing Get a tall centre forward who is 28, 29, who's not on big money. And okay, it may not be what we what we want moving forward, but in the last 15 minutes, sometimes that's what you need. That it's a it's a weapon that you need to be able to access. I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And at the moment, that's something that we we just lack. Because you've got players like Martinelli and Trossard and Saka and Tierney or Zinchenko or, or White getting into these crossing, um, these great crossing positions. And in the box is five foot nine, five foot eight, Eddie Nketiah, who whilst being great in the air for his size, if somebody's six foot two and in there and good in the air, it's a bit different. And I think that that's something we need to look to invest in um, and kind of quick because... Um, we and and we can talk about the goal, but it will massively help us in defensive scenarios in those in those moments because we our centre backs aren't exactly imperious in the air; they're very good. But I think that goal proved quite fatally that when it comes to aerial duels, we are not the best. And having one player on your bench. Who can whose speciality it is to win aerial duels? It'll give Ramsdale an option. It'll give, you know, Saliba, and it'll give Gabrielle an option that they can boot the ball long. We've got somebody in that nine zone or kind of dropping into that ten zone who can flick the ball on for oncoming wingers, and that and we we just don't have that. You know, our front line are good in the air for for what they are, but having that pinpoint, I think, is something we should really look into because no, we lack I it. I agree, and it feels you know it, it feels a bit Tony Pulis, and I don't want that player to be completely devoid of technicality. But you know, if we can get someone who's twenty eight until they turn twenty nine. 
I just, you know, I, I do think it's it's something to consider and, uh, yeah, and something we need to, 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 to have a look at. It's also my thing of, like, I don't just constantly want to go, oh, it's the market, it's the market. Like, we should be able to find solutions within our, within our, um, within our own squad, as well as using the market, of course. But that does feel like something in our squad that we just don't have. Um, one of the, one of the only real things, as well as perhaps some sort of, like, absolute raw pace. Um... All right, we'll we'll leave it there for now. We'll come back in part two and we'll answer your questions uh, and get some more talking points. Because this is is this a podcast? So what is this? We're doing a I've forgotten. I can't remember. Okay, do you want to play? Th- do you want to play a game of game of patience? Yeah, <laughs> just the last half hours, just <laughs> just us chatting about life. Uh, we'll see you after this. News and games. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who support us on Patreon, on patreon.com forward slash diffnot. Get access to ad-free versions of the main podcast, as well as weekly Patreon-exclusive bonus podcasts and the Patreon-only instant reaction <gasps> for just £3 a month. That's less than the price of coffee a month that are really in the world. If you've heard of YouTube, there's a specific tier for that too. Speaking of coffee, for one time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash diffnot, where you can buy me a coffee. The links are in the show description. We've had a question in, Bradley. Oh. From Debs. Hey! Debs. Debs is an original diff knocker to our new listeners. Um, What is your go-to coping mechanism that keeps you from throwing a tantrum over the farcical pantomime that is the FAPGMOL? Uh, Rants on these podcasts, then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this podcast. <laughs> You've heard one already. <laughs> the first twenty minutes um, of the podcast is our is our coping mechanism. Do you know what? If I'm fuming, I sometimes just got to take the dog for a walk. Yeah, get out of the house, fresh air. It's just the game. Take the dogs for a walk, and then I get back yeah. to the house, and I'm automatically raging again. But for those twenty minutes, very nice and serene. Yeah, do you know what mine is, mate? Finding out going to the city game on Wednesday. Oh fuck! Off. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question, Brad. Uh, yes, I don't know if you saw Gary Neville on the um, the overlap. Oh, um, can we not? Can we not? I ignore not all that type of media because it's it's waste of oxygen. The uh, well, firstly, I wish he'd get off the fence and just say what he thinks is going to happen in the title race. I mean, Jesus Christ! But secondly, he makes a point about how in every season there is a wobble. Now, question: ignoring the fact that it's Gary Neville, and let's not use his name from here on forward, do you think there is a wobble in every title-winning season? And if so, is this our wobble? It's got a funny word, wobble, isn't it? Wobble. 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 Um, I would say if you disregard the last kind of four seasons, you know, City and Liverpool both, when they won won the leagues in the fashion that they did, did it in quite an unprecedented manner, going on 21-game winning streaks and such. Like, that's mental. Uh, just like it was, it's unprecedented that we only dropped two points in the first 19 games of the season. Like, that's mental. Um, 
Or like, no, five points, sorry. I think we dropped five points, didn't we? Yeah, because we drew to Southampton and lost to United. Like, that's crazy. Um, like, you, you have to look at that and go, okay, that's unprecedented. Uh, I don't think that's the norm. And I think that in normal Premier League seasons, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely moments where people pull out of form. Uh, it, it depends on reasons, though. Any club would miss their £50 million star striker who's been brought in to, to revolutionise the way that we play football. Like, you know, like that's that's a big, big miss for us. I would, And I think that problems that we're facing now wouldn't be as problematic if we had him available. Um, but I'm, I'm reticent and hesitant to call it a wobble when the goal shouldn't have stood yesterday. So that's three points. And if that goal doesn't stand and we win, everyone says, you know, that's the mark of champions grinding out results. Uh, we should have had a penalty against Everton. So that goes from no points to a point if we score it um, again. And then, but they go, oh, you know, they've survived the new manager bounce and they've ground out a result. You know, that's the mark of champions. And then, you know, at Newcastle, we should have had a penalty. Gabriel is quite obviously thrown to the ground. We score that, we win. That's another three points. And you're talking about not only would we be uh, three points clear now, but we'd have another two, five points in the bag. So we'd we'd have we'd be eight points clear now with a game in hand playing City which if we won we would then be 11 points clear with a game in hand like like I'm I'm reticent to call it a wobble because whilst okay we've not been playing good football that's going to come with the fatigue of playing the same 11 players over and over again and and not changing enough and becoming a bit too one-dimensional uh and it's also going to kind of come with the fact that it happens. Like sometimes shit happens. The only problem is, is like shit's happening because of the shit referees rather than us actually being shit. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I think my my big issue with with all of it is it just feels a bit narrative. And look, you know, I, like, there was an interview with Will Ferrell on Sky Sports earlier, which I really liked. And something the first thing he said, as I bang my microphone, the first thing he said was, "I just love the storylines." And it's like, yeah, like so much. It is. Ultimately, it's like stories. It's like just like narratives weaving. And we naturally are humans. We're storytellers and we want to attribute narratives to things. And every loss means so much more than it could possibly mean. Every every win means so much more than it could possibly mean. And that's what keeps the, the conversation going. That's why podcasts like this exist. You know, it's great. But does that reflect reality? No. And like, you know, as you say, the the fine margin, this is why I'm always so keen to, to talk about the fine margins in football and why I was never... I don't think you should ever go too high or too low because it's like, well, if, you know, for example, last season with Liverpool, two kicks of a football separate them from decent season to the best season ever. And then what does that do to their narrative this season? You know, like, and what does that do to them in, in the summer? Literally, Valverde's boot and Gundogan's boot separates them from the quadruple in the modern era, which would make them undoubtedly the best modern team like you can't beyond that you can't debate you could say you know perhaps a team could beat them on their day but ultimately they have done the best achievement out of any team ever that you know the invincibles go out the window the mm-hmm. centurions go out the window a quadruple in the modern era would be the best thing ever two kicks of a football 
so you know we're we're dealing with such fine margins here and do, do they go from the best team ever to average shit are they finished no <laughs> of course they don't they're just a team who are in a situation and that happened so look i yeah i i i wonder whether it's helpful to frame it as a wobble and always think you know and maybe we'll look back on it and go maybe that was just the period where we didn't, couldn't quite get it going more sort of granularly yes i've used it more granularly i'd say that the <laughs> listeners i wish you could see the look brad just gave me um it's it's more that i'm worried about especially going into the city game the casualness that i've seen that's that's the concern that the the sort of the inability it appears for us to the lack of guts and the fire lack of in the belly. guts and fire in the belly that is my main concern is that if we can't get up you know, I, I think we will. And obviously I'll be there to, to see it. So, um, but, uh, oh, <laughs> but if we can't get up for that city game, that's when I start to get concerned. Cause I'm like, it, it requires no talent and it requires no skill particularly to try your hardest. And I just felt that there was a lot of casualness, a lot of like ap- apathy in that team on, on Saturday afternoon and hiding, hiding. That team on, on Saturday afternoon. If we can't get up for that game, that's when I start to get concerned. So I don't know, but I, I just thought it was an interesting question because these th- these narratives always appear. Um, and to be honest, I just I even I reject my own question. Question from at Edwin underscore KK. Are teams starting to figure out how Mikel uses our wingers? What could we do to counter their approach? Obviously, we heard from Thomas Frank uh, saying in the press conference that we have to double up on Arsenal's wingers. Um, and I think this is has to be looked at on two sides. Firstly, on our right-hand side, Saka is a 1v1 specialist. So when you took, put two people against him, what you need is people around him, like Ben White on the overlap, which he was much more on uh, Saturday, and he started to be a bit more effective, started to draw people away, gave Saka a bit more space, and I thought, thought Saka was you know, pretty good on Saturday, didn't have his best game, but whatever. And on the left-hand side... When Jesus is in, we've got so much more rotation. And when Martinelli came central, he had his best periods of the game. So I think it's about... It's not necessarily about our wingers. I think it's about the players around them being instructed to help them out and to create those triangles on the right-hand side and to create that positional rotation, which really helps us on the left-hand side. So that that's that's my real feeling about that. Yeah, I also don't think they've figured out what we do with our wingers as much as they've gone, we can't stop them unless we designate two men to each. I don't think it's... Do you know what I mean? I don't... I, it's not revolutionary so then we need to stop being idiots and succumbing to that nullifying us we need to make changes we need to make sure we're overlapping that's why Kieran Tierney is going to be so important and maybe that's why we need to see a change and have Tierney in at left back and put Zinchenko in the midfield because we can't continually allow for those two players to be doubled up when they're such they're, they're, they're you know they're our most productive outlets especially without Jesus in the team so we just we need to make a change yeah, and this is, you know, just slightly moving on to City now. I'm writing an article about how how we can do that. And I think there's a number of things. And I'd be interested in your take on it. I, I Obviously, there's a psychological side of the game, which is important. But I do think our left-hand side is going to be crucial to try and get that going. Um, obviously, there's a personnel question there. Is that going to be Tierney and Trossard? Or is it going to be or one or the other or neither or whatever? But when you lock down one side 
as as appears to have happened on our left hand side, it only puts pressure on the other side. So they're kind of a symbiotic relationship, and that, and that concerns me. I I I do want to see something different. I don't, you know, it will be far too easy for Arteta to overthink this and go in with, you know, Smithrow at false six or whatever. But like, I just, I just want to see something different. I want to see the, the the problems addressed further than they were against Brentford because I, I've I, we saw what they were at Everton. We tried to address them against Brentford, but then got shut down. And I don't want to see the same issues happening at City because then it's showing us, okay, well then we don't understand how to fix these issues, and that's a concern. Um, I don't think we should particularly I think it'll also be different because City yeah. they'll come to play football I don't think that's going to be like I think it's it's that's City the City game is almost less worrying for these types of problems for me than than the Brentford game because by proxy of the way that City will come to the Emirates and play football there will be more space. They won't have the personnel to double up on Saka and Martinelli if they want to play the style of football that they want. And if they come to sit back and double up on players, allow them to... It's more important for Arsenal on Wednesday's game to not lose than it is to win. If we draw that game, we're still six points ahead with a game in hand. We don't play them again till April. And six points is not that assailable when they look as open as they do against Spurs, against, you know, Villa at times. So Arsenal's, and I think this is this is where I think we need to learn from our mistakes of last season. We went to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium looking to win and we should have gone there looking to draw. And it's it's the same. We A draw is just as good as, is like just a little bit less as good a result as a win. It's, it's, it's neck and neck. Not losing that game is the important thing. So we just need to be smart. And I don't worry about the same problems against City because there'll be more space. We just need to make sure that with our defensive structure that we're able to deal with them. And then we'll be fine. We come out there with a nil-nil. I will take the most boring game of football on Wednesday, the most bore nil-nil draw. No team, neither team has a shot kind of game like we basically just pass it around the back and for like 45 minutes and then they kick off and they pass it around the back for 45 minutes. I'll take that because this title, I don't think will be won and lost on Wednesday. I think it could be won on Wednesday. If we win, then I think that's that that's looking done. You're talking about nine points clear, game in hand. It's it's looking really unassailable for a team that's having problems. Um, I think it would be six six clear with a game in hand. Oh, six clear with a game in hand, sorry. Um, you know, with a, with the option of being nine points clear, it's just... Yeah. We I, just need to not lose. We need to not lose. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, strong. you know, draw a, a draw and a winner neck and neck, but I, I take your point. I, I I feel as though not losing is the main is the main concern. And yeah, you're right. I would I would yeah. certainly take a, a very boring game. But obviously I will be there, so I want I want a bit of a take. <laughs> Right, I'm appearing <laughs> on the Latte film tonight, so I'm going to have to slightly cut this one short. But we've always got time, Bradley. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Great stuff. Your old question was about South American Arsenal players, and I asked you to name five Brazilians to play for Arsenal. There have been 15 
I'd like you to name five of them. Gilberto Silva, Edu, Andre Santos, Gabriel Martinelli, and Gabriel Paulista. Can you name ten? Um, Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus. Um, oh, there's been 16, sorry. This was an old article. It's been 16. Um, who have I mentioned? There's like two you just, you you will not get. Danielson, yeah. Danielson. Think strikers. Um, Number nines, mid-Venga era. Oh, Eduardo, De, yeah, Eduardo, Eduardo De Silva. No, I'm topped out at nine. David Luiz? Oh, yeah, of course, that bloody crusty the clown looking motherfucker. Silvino? Silvino. <laughs> Julio Baptista? Julio Baptista! Oh, what a throwback. William? No, I, <laughs> we don't get that out. Yeah, we don't count that. <laughs> Pedro Bol- Botello. He was a 17-year-old in 2007, um, and we couldn't get work permits, so he had to go. <laughs> Doesn't count. Uh, and finally, Juan. Joined the Gunners in 2001, played it once in the FA Cup and once in the League Cup. Juan. Oh, and Wellington Silver. Wellington Silva. Some of these names are so funny because I've just seen them on Football Manager and I've like automatically sold them. <laughs> like Wellington Silva went straight on the transfer list. Yeah, immediately. The next question is, uh, Will's uh, theme was a trip. The theme was <laughs> trips to Goodison. And I would like you to name two goal scorers from Arsenal's 5-2 win at Goodison Park on the 22nd of October 2017. I would like you to name two goal scorers from Arsenal's 5-2 win at Goodison Park on the 22nd of October 2017. And a theme, please, Brandley Scrapples. Uh, We are going to go with uh, Arsenal versus West London teams. Because there's a couple of them in the league now. I'll pull that one right out of my ass. West London teams. Well, the great thing is, mate, I never consistently ask you to to give me a theme at the end of every single episode. So you know, it's just going to be it's going to be sprung on you every time. You'll never you'll never <laughs> be able to predict it. You'll never be able to prepare for it. And it's just it's just going to be whenever. Sometimes you do forget. Um, that whenever will be every episode, Brad. But um, yeah. Um, and also when you say Arsenal trivia, just just clock in your mind. Oh, I might be being asked a, a theme here. <laughs> I'm always too focused on answering the questions. It's like my brain went straight to, oh, who scored in that 5-2? Find out next week. Well, you find out on Thursday. Um, find out next week. Yeah. Speaking of Thursday, I'll have been at the Arsenal game the night before. Uh, so I'll look forward to chatting oh. to you then. <laughs> I think that's five in this episode. <laughs> Thanks as always for listening. We'll have George on the next podcast. Uh, but Bradley, it was a pleasure as always. Keep it different, Knock, and we'll see Pleasure's mine, dear. you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. 
please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diffknock. Thanks. Podcast Network.